So we're chatting with Brittany Mammon today about the benefits, opportunities of a legitimate offseason as it pertains to physique competition. So Britt, how's it going today? It's good. It's good. I'm happy to be here with you, Ray. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. We're happy to have you. So let's talk a little bit about your pre-stepping on a physique contest stage. Yeah, let's get into your athletic background. Maybe start with college. Yeah, I was blessed enough to get a Division I scholarship to Northern Illinois University um, and started, you know, pretty young as, as an athlete and went all the way through to, to college. And um, so I was starting with weightlifting and being active is just something that's always been in my background and knew that when I graduated, that wouldn't be the end of being an athlete of some sort. So when we look at the the blessed, I think you you definitely earned a Division One scholarship for basketball. I don't think there was anything about being blessed outside of maybe you have an incredible work ethic. Um, but looking at that Division One athletics in college means you get access to real strength and conditioning training. So at least during college, you probably were were lifting weights in working out training in a way that most people weren't would that be would that be true yeah that's absolutely fair and i i was um working with a lot of a di- you know different strength coaches and predominantly olympic lifting is where i got my start and um they put a big focus on your form being correct and my first year as a freshman um olympic lifting can be uh you know complex there's a lot of different movements they would let me only let me use a broomstick for my first freshman year because they wanted to make sure that you were doing everything correctly and, you know, not wasting any time with bad form. Um, and then eventually, you, you know, you kind of graduate to put put some weight on there. And it definitely transferred over into how I felt on the on the court for sure. All right, Britt. So walk us through. Let's let's step back through the division one weight training. What did that look like? Um. So mostly Olympic lifting is, is where our focus was. I mean, we were also conditioning, uh, lots of cardio, uh, but we would lift, you know, around six o'clock in the morning and, um, we would do a lot of deadlifting. There was a lot of emphasis on squatting. Um, and then we would do all kinds of Olympic lifting, you know, hang cleans or power cleans from the floor, um, overhead snatch, and then some accessory work where we would work on different movements, um, of the Olympic lifting to have it all come together. Um, and even in the off season, we were training, there really didn't seem like there was an off season. Um, but I felt like each year I was progressing and getting stronger and stronger. Um, I had a lot of fun with it. I wish I was, I wish I could do it all over again. So in college, you were, you were actually doing what a lot of people aren't, which is the big multi-joint lifts, squat, deadlift, the Olympics, the Olympic hybrids, and some accessory work, but doing it under the kind of under the eye of a strength and conditioning coach or coaches and actually in moving real weight. I, I would imagine that you were being challenged to push yourself. 100%. I mean, the type of weight where you're thinking, if I sit under this, I might not be able to stand up. Um, but it all within, you know, you have a spotter. I felt very safe. I thought we were doing things correctly, but yeah, I was not going in there to complete reps and say, oh, you know, I'll get like 30 of these or, or 25. It was an all out push to my limit in, I can only do one of these. And it was calculated. Um, 
you know, we kept track of how much we were lifting each week and to know that, all right, I, I might fall on my face if I don't complete this lift and do it right. And I very much loved that challenge. And I think that transferred over with the training that I had with you was the type of weight that is a challenge every single time, you know, and I, um, that's my favorite kind of training for sure. And that's probably a bit of that difference between just working out or lifting weights or exercising and actually showing up to the weight room with a plan, having some goals, and then putting yourself in a position where it's, you know, stand up with the weight with the bar on your back or end up stapled to the box or stapled yep. to the floor. Yep. And, and that, you know, translates over to, to, to today. I mean, it's, I think it's a little scary if you ask somebody in the gym when they walk in, Hey, what are you working today? Well, I don't know. And it, well, you know, you don't come in with a plan. And I, I think that was, uh, I earned, I learned that at an early age and I'm glad that I did. I never, even when I was in a, a teenager going into the weight room, I never didn't know what I was going to do. I had a plan every single time I would go to bed at night and look forward to what I was doing the next day. A hundred percent. So that that's one of the probably the first piece of that missed opportunity for competitors in, in really in all areas of life. But when we look at physique competition, it's the just going to the gym and, and training back and buys or going to the gym and, and having a written plan to be better that day. Yes, 100 percent. And and that's where I think my body really started to show, show changes and to show strength when it's it's calculated and I know, okay, I'm adding five pounds this week. I'm adding 10 pounds this week and I'm going to force my body to do the work. And I think the fun part of that too, is that my mindset followed. Um, I just very much look forward to, to that challenge every day and, and forcing your body to do the work. I think you get, you get very mentally tough. Um, and I think it gave me uh, just some good discipline. And I think discipline is freedom um, and just got addicted to going in and Let's see how much I can do if it's one or two reps, you know, pushing your body to that all out kind of rep is, is where I think all the change comes from. So post-college, so college athletics are done. We established that you, you have a foundation in, in moving weights with a plan to reach a goal, which again, most people fail because, well, it's just going to today's leg day. Well, what does that mean? You actually had a plan and, and you were accustomed to being disciplined to executing college is done collegiate athletics are in the rear view how, how did you end up saying hey I want to do a physique contest well I, I met this guy named Ray Binkowski I wanted to be a personal trainer um, so I started working at at a gym and in training people and I think because of my college background I think I got bored easy with just going in and doing four sets of 12 or three sets of 12 or that's what I did last week I just, I think I wanted to get into physique because it just, it, it just was a complete challenge for me and the discipline with weightlifting I had under my belt, but I think taking on a new challenge in pairing food with it and um, being calculated with my food is when I started to see my strength go up and, and my physique change. And I also think bodybuilding takes me very far outside of my comfort zone. Um, and I, I think that's where I just got a little more mentally tough was I'm going to do something where every day I'm completely uncomfortable. This weight, you know, four days a week of training, you know, four days on and one day off. Um, 
if I go in there in the morning or afternoon and, and put myself through a very difficult and hard workout, I would leave the weight room thinking there's nothing I can't do today. I, I, I put myself through a huge challenge and it would transfer over to me, you know, working, whether I was still personal training or if I was, you know, in my sales job, I would, I was a better employee. I was focused. Um, I was disciplined with my food and my workouts and um, my performance. I was a better partner, a better wife, um, just overall self-esteem after putting myself through something that made me uncomfortable and pushing through that um, just really, really helped my mindset a lot. And, and so physique contest wise, you started out with bikini. Correct. Yes. And then gradually transferred to figure. And for those that aren't aware, and I'm going to guess most are, but if you're not, bikini is kind of, if we think back Hawaiian tropics, bikini competition with a little more muscle and a little bit leaner. So not heavily muscled. But when we start looking at the contrast to figure, that's going to be more of a X frame. So wide shoulders, upper back, tiny waist, wide at the glutes, hips, quads, tiny at the knees, wide at the calves. So more hourglass, more X frame. But to make that transition to go from bikini to figure, you needed to gain some muscle, didn't you? A hundred percent. Yes. And specifically in, you know, like you mentioned in my shoulders and in the base in my legs and just another challenge I enjoyed taking on. And, and our program that I worked on with you was so calculated um, that I just felt that I could throw all of my effort into it and not overthink what I'm doing is correct because I knew it was, was correct. And we had a very good game plan and four days a week warming up with 50 pull-ups before every workout was probably my favorite challenge other than back squatting. Um, that I remember you start every workout, get 50, it could be one or two in a row, but don't start until you get 50 good pull-ups. I think Ray just wanted me to dust the bars in the gym. I think that's really what the plan was. Um, but I, I, I think I, we inspired some people too, because I would go in there and, and start my 50 pull-ups and, um, you'd have people that wanted to join me that wanted to come in and do their 50 pull-ups too, but it was great. Um, results. I mean, I, I changed completely in, in my frame and um, yeah, but putting on a lot of muscle. Looking at that time frame, and we'll, we'll talk the nuts and bolts of the programming, but you actually decided and in, in recognized the benefit and the opportunity to take time away from getting ready to step on stage again. And instead said, I'm going to take the time months a year year and a half what what have you to gain muscle so that you could fill out and get that x frame right yeah yes because it you know it doesn't happen overnight um i don't think you can just take three four months and then try to get into prep i i have a lot of respect for my competitors and i like to think that i'd like to picture somebody else outworking me um you know in the gym and i think yeah, just taking more than three, four months at a time and, and taking a year, half a year um, to make real change because it doesn't happen overnight was a huge part of my success for sure. And that ends up being the, the biggest missed opportunity is a lot of competitors go from contest prep, they step on stage, they take a few weeks off and then they're, they're dieting and, and doing the quote unquote prep for that next contest. And then they're stepping back on stage. But you took a different approach and, and you took a year plus off of getting on stage and you just focused on lifting weights and 
in a planned manner with goals, structured progress to just to gain muscle and fill out. Correct. Correct. Yes. And I, I would, if I had to jump in and, and try to get into bodybuilding again, I would do the same thing. Um, because as you see in those uh, pictures behind you, uh, those changes didn't happen by just trying to prep for a few weeks. I had an understanding that um, this vision of what I have in mind of, of what I want to look like, I can have that and I can be that. I have all the right tools. I have a great coach. My nutrition is on point, you know, with Ray and anything that I want with my physique, I can have it. But I just, I knew that it wasn't going to happen in a couple of weeks. And there was a lot of thrill in um, going in every single day and just having that picture of what I want to look like in the back of my head and knowing that, you know, sitting under all this weight um, and mentally challenging myself that, that I can get there. I'm, you know, not running over the horses with the carriage, as they say. In, in, in expecting to not make those types of improvements when you're dieting and prepping for another contest. Like you, you put the same focus, effort, intensity, drive into that off season to get better and improve that you would put in prep, correct? One hundred, Yes, 100%. Yep. And that's where so many people, you know, they, they just go to the gym and they're, it's going to be back and bicep day. They don't have a plan. They don't have a goal. And then even worse, they're right back in prep. So there's, there's no time to improve. There's no plan for improvement. There's no structure and there certainly aren't enough calories to fuel it. Right, right, right. Exactly. It was, um, yeah, I think we took about a year or a half of a half of a year, um, improving and it, and it, it was very exciting to see, you know, within three months or five months or six months. Um, first, I mean, you know, noticing how much stronger I got, um, you know, in that off season too, and, and getting as strong as I possibly could and get looking completely different and then carrying that into, you know, the sh little more stricter three, four months of prep. I mean, it was, it wasn't easy, but I felt like challenging myself before, you know, the end of, of, you know, leaning out, that's just where my body looked completely different. And, and I wasn't as nervous going into the last three, four months of, okay, it's time to lean out a bit because I'd already put myself through such a fun challenge and pushed myself as hard as I could. And then, you know, riding that wave into prep and into leaning out, I was just so excited that um, I think it was a perfect recipe. Training wise, one, again, to transition bikini to figure, you need a wider back or the appearance of a wide back, narrow waist. And that meant we started our workouts with 50 pull-ups, but then also rotated between two things. One, a, a squat program or two, a deadlift program. And that had you, if I look at my notes from your training, which we still have, you were squatting like three days a week and then do, you would do your pull-ups, you'd squat and you'd have one upper body lift for three or four sets. And that was it. Yep. And then day four was four or five upper body lifts. And, and that was it. We, we weren't doing all of these things. You were either squatting three days a week with your 50 pull-ups and one upper body lift, or you were deadlifting three days a week. And then day four was four or five upper body lifts. Yep. And, and it was, I remember reading that at first thinking, well, you know, maybe I could do more, maybe, you know, maybe I could push a little bit more. I like, I could work out seven days if I wanted to. I was very gassed up and excited for the show. So I, could, I was probably telling myself I could do more, but 
in talking with you, Ray, in understanding how, you know, how much weight to do and how to challenge myself with those, you know, maybe three to four days, some push and pull and a hinge and, and focusing a lot more on squats and on shoulders and pull-ups, I was able to adjust to where I'm making every single exercise difficult. I mean, every rep from the jump, I made hard on myself. It was, I should be doing a weight where I can barely finish that last rep. Um, and even then, you know, not that the workouts were easy, but it was, it was still challenging. I mean, and I still saw change and I was, I was getting, you know, very strong. So, um, I think if, you know, you maybe put yourself through a program or something like that, you, you might be dogging it a little bit if you're not feeling tired, you know, in your warm up. So I think putting my all out effort into all of that really, really made a difference too. But the fact that we really, I mean, we really rotated every couple, like three months between a squat program and a deadlift program. And that was, that was it. So for those that are tuned in, it could literally be your workout might be 50 reps of pull-ups, however many sets it takes. And then it might be four to six sets of squats or deadlifts with a percentage of your one rep max dictated training weight. So there's planned progression using your percents of your one rep max and that's mission critical and then you might have you might have three or four sets of dumbbell shoulder press and you're done right right and it, and it felt good to train that way um i mean 50 minutes in the gym i think i was there 45 50 minutes i did not mess around i'm timing my breaks you know and adjusting the weight right to where it on paper it might sound oh, 50 minutes isn't enough but if you if you do it right and we're doing the movements correctly. It's, it's going to make change. And it, and it definitely did. I mean, my one rep max in my squat only climbed. Um, I had people in the gym that would come up, you know, to me when I was warming up with like 200 pounds, just warming up or, or 185, just repping those out. And I did I wasn't wearing a belt. Uh, people would come up and ask, where's your, where's your belt? You're doing all this without one. And but what did you weigh at that point? I was probably 128 pounds, maybe 125 which was pretty incredible. I mean, I would, I used to be able to, to warm up with 135 without using my hand. I, I would go up to the squat rack and just put my shoulders on the bar, have it there. And I'd sit all the way down and stand up and then re-rack it with my shoulders um, because we were getting stronger there too. Um, that was probably one of my favorite parts, but yeah, I mean, light, lightweight um, and, and squatting 50, 60 pounds um, over my body weight, eventually substantially more than that pretty, pretty easily was incredible i'm just it, i'm just upset i didn't get it on tape food wise you were we kind of structured it where we gave you a calorie carb protein and fat target and we didn't say you have to eat these foods you were kind of free to pick and choose the foods you enjoyed i was i was it was i didn't have the mindset of um i can't have this or i can't have that um once things were calculated and, and on point i i could pretty much have whatever, whatever I wanted. I, had a, I have a memory where we were um, deep into heavy squats where everything I was eating was fuel I would use. My husband and I sat down to watch a movie. And before the movie was over, when I was eating, I think over 3000 calories a day, I had an entire pizza and then followed by waffles. And then after that, I ate a pint of Halo Top ice cream before the movie was over. And then the next day, you know, going to use that fuel just being able to move the bar very easily was was a lot of fun, but it was it was shocking how much I could eat. But knowing that we're using every bit of what I'm eating for fuel was it was fun. So that was a good part of it was not 
limiting myself to what I wanted, what I wanted to have. So in having, having the flexibility to enjoy the foods that you want, and then at the same time, having a greater amount of calories kind of sets you up. And this is like, I just talked to a competitor. She wants to compete in a few months and she's already down to only eating 1400 calories, which means she's, it's not going to work for her. Like she needs to correct how many calories she's eating or, or pick a different time frame to compete. In your case, when we look at getting calories up to say 3000 and having the flexibility to have waffles and pizza in Halo Top, or even like I've got in your, in your logs weeks going into the contest, you were still having chips, guac and Corona light. Guilty. And it didn't negatively impact your progress. No, no. And I think that's, you know, credit to how calculated our program was and, and you educating me that way too, because I would kind of double, you know, kind of double think things, you know, should I be eating this or doing that? But once I was able to get on the same page with you about, you know, being calculated and tuned in with your nutrition, I mean, you can calculate it as much as you want. And if you want to eat it, have it. And, and um, I just know that eating those calories and, and having that discipline with food and, and having it roll over to the gym, because I knew that whether I'm benching or shoulder pressing or um, pull-ups or squatting, you know, every rep is going to feel, is going to feel hard. I might fall on my face doing it, but I've I've got the calories in me. I mean, you can, you don't have the fuel, you're not going to move the weight. And that goes back to why that off season, why that failure to have a training program that has you training is such a missed opportunity because you, you have to have the extra calories to make the improvements and you know we've got some great pictures of you um, we have a ton of progress pictures but if we look at your very early pictures when you were still I think you'd done one figure contest but you hadn't had a dedicated period of time to just get better at being a figure competitor you just went bikini to figure mm-hmm. but we went from that initial starting point your first photos to photos near the end, your back is like a mile wide at the end because you took that time, had a dedicated discipline off season to not only eat a caloric surplus, but to actually not just work out with weights, but train. Yeah, exactly. That, and I think that's where we touched on the difference in, in exercise and training instead of taking the you know, off season and trying to do my second figure competition where my back did look a lot different. You know, I'm not just going in there and, and three sets of 10 of, you know, lat pull downs. It was, you know, all very calculated and, and had been doing pull-ups for, I think by that time when we saw the progress in my back, I think I'd been doing, you know, 200 to 300 pull-ups a week for, for half a year, maybe a year long and, and having patience, you know, I would get eager and I'm, you know, six months or eight months until we get on stage and I could barely wait to do it, but slowing myself down and, and having that patience and in doing one workout at a time, I think really showed in progress, especially in that in that photo. And that there again, like I, I continue to have conversations and this is why I wanted to to sit down with you to do this, because you your photos paint the picture. Like, look, if you take and put the effort you put into your contest prep into getting better in the off season, this is the outcome. And so many competitors still their thought process is, well, I don't need to work with a coach. I don't need to be focused, dedicated, disciplined right now because it's the off season. 
and then eight months, 12 months, 15 months goes by and they're, they want to start prep again. Well, you never spent time improving. You just spent time away from being in prep. I was able to understand that or get excited about that. And maybe some of the experience I've had with sports or just being a sports fan. I mean, I don't think Steph Curry waits until the NBA playoffs are on to start. Okay. Now I'll start, you know, um, putting in the work. We've got the championship in four weeks. He's busting his butt in July, you know, a year before the NBA playoffs start. And I learned that a lot with basketball too. It's the small disciplines every single day that I know in October when we get to the, you know, we're, in preseason, but when we get to the MAC championship, they're all going to connect and come together. And I don't think a lot of success just comes together without that prep. And, and I think maybe I learned that um, from basketball, or if you're a sports fan, just, just look into some of these athletes that the work is all year round to improve. And you can't just really turn on a light switch in a couple of weeks and try to have a result you've never had before. You're right. It, every sport at the top level and, and really even at the amateur or, or the youth level, you have that period before the season starts where you're preparing for the season. And then in the season, sure, you have practice getting ready for your games, but there's always that before the season starts period. And, and that is that that's the off season for physique competitors. And I think you kind of nailed it every stick and ball sport does have that period where you're getting ready to start practice and play games. And when we look at the physique athletes, they tend to want to skip that and they just want to go back to, well, I'm going to practice. I'm going to start practice on Monday and the first games Friday night or Saturday night. Yeah. And I think maybe even if you're not a sports fan, even having the mindset of my competitions outworking me, I mean, I, I think that drove me a lot too. I mean, I didn't know who I was going on stage against, but I could, put it in the back of my mind that um, somebody is outworking me somewhere and I don't like to be outworked. Uh, I want to be the hardest worker in the room. And, and I think that motivated me and just having, having patience and entrusting the process as cliche as it is just made a huge difference. I, I, I would, if I ever prepped again, that's, that's exactly what I would do. I would take a, a year and a half first and do some real big changes before, you know, really leaning out the last, three, four weeks, I think is not where you coast, um, but that's where the frosting on the cake happens. You can't really change your shoulders and, and get bigger in that, in that time, which is what you want to do. Yeah. And you, the only way to do that is to have that discipline, dedicated focus training in the off season. And in fairness, like you're, how tall are you? Five, eight on a good day. So five, eight on a good day, you, you really shouldn't get a division one scholarship for basketball you're not six feet tall, like you're, but yet you did. And in that, you know, the work ethic, the awareness that somebody in some weight room may be on stage competing with me and they could be out working me. Therefore I'm going to do the work that there's a huge lesson message or kind of teaching point. There is that's the mindset that successful people take. And that's the mindset of somebody that's five foot eight for women's basketball that gets a division one women's basketball scholarship that's hard to do but when you're under the average height for the division one female basketball player and you still get a ride it it speaks to your work ethic in anybody tuning in you can steal that like the focus is simple somewhere someone's outworking you today no doubt and i I think that translate over and thank you for saying that too by the way i think that translates over to even in your 
day-to-day career. I think competition is a good thing. And I think it drives us all. And before I forget, I, to, to piggyback off of that point, I mean, that as a kid, I, I loved basketball and always thought, again, somebody was outworking me so much so that I would go outside. You could see it. It's hard to do. Yeah. I'd go outside in the, in the winter and shoot hoops, even if there was snow on the ground. Cause I just, I couldn't get pulled away, you know, from the game. And I think if you can, whatever your discipline is or whatever it is that you want to achieve, if you can throw yourself and, and get obsessed with it, you know, within reason, I think the discipline just becomes freedom. If you can dive into being disciplined and you'll, everything else kind of falls to, into place. I'm like, I'm a better, better partner, better wife and, you know, coworker. And you kind of touched on, on that earlier and, and you just did again. So let's talk about that. And this is post contest like you're not stepping on stage anytime soon it's been a little while since you have but the skills and that you know that discipline that mindset led to a division one scholarship not in your home state that discipline dedication led to being rather successful on the contest stage and then success in your career and people don't really they don't think about that yet you're, you're aware of it. Like if I push myself here to develop these habits, I'm better here. Yeah, definitely. And, and it, it like, it's transferred over into my career too. I'm, I'm in a sales, um, like an inside sales position and I work with a technology company and, and it is highly competitive um, in the area that we are. And I still every day think if, if I don't do this little thing for our customer, somebody else will. And I'm sure, you know, maybe you've heard that a million times, but, you know, even when we're stuck in a rut at work, you know, the six to eight months with having long projects, you know, that are due, but could also, you know, come out to, to win big for us. You know, if I wanted to slack off in the six to eight months or something like that, I could, but just having the discipline and knowing that if I, if I don't do everything right for my customer or show enthusiasm or, or a good attitude, or how do you react when things are maybe a little sour, somebody else will, will do better than me. And that's, that's always drives me. I mean, our, the team that I'm on, our goal, you know, is to sell 1 billion uh, this year. And you can't, you, you can't do that if you're not, you know, competitive or can't, you know, go in every day with a good attitude and just accepting the challenge of facing other competition, I think is no matter if you're doing bodybuilding or sports or anything like that, I think it, it applies a billion dollar sales goal is, is audacious. That's a, that's a big deal. And that means patience and time spending that eight to 12 months doing the work day in and day out, knowing that it might take that amount of time to close that big deal. It's kind of similar to that off season spent six months getting better before you even considered prep. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So it was kind of, kind of an easy transferable skill, I'd say, over to me, but uh, in the workplace. But I, you know, I think it's just it's a it's a skill that I think maybe every employer would have, or if you're a parent, or if you know, if you're a friend. I mean, just having having the patience and in, in trying to better yourself every day in in little ways, you know, will go go a long way. I think it's cliche, but it's paid off for me thus far, I'd say. And that's the way I've always looked at. I'm old enough now to see things through the eyes of, of having a few decades in, in and around this sport. And I firmly believe and have for a long time that your training, your contest prep, your getting on stage should make you better in every area of your life. And if it doesn't, if it's making you sacrifice career, family, friendships, you're doing it wrong. 
But when it's done right and you get under that loaded squat bar with say 95% of your one rep max and you're doing sets of triples, when when you take a shower and you put your business casual on and you go to work, work's probably pretty easy. That's right. I think that speaks to the mindset of, like I've mentioned, uh, if I can push myself through a difficult workout and a difficult load set and I accomplish that, I go to work or I, I log on and I start getting on meetings. There's there's nothing that's going to bother me today. I, I, can, I can take everything in stride. I do have that mindset that once I can, I'm very also hard on myself. My my mindset, I'm I'm the biggest critic in my own head. And if I can satisfy myself by sitting under a heavy squat, you know, thinking I might not stand up and then you stand up and then I go to work, there is nothing I can't handle after that workout. You know, sitting under heavy weight and squatting is one big metaphor for life. I mean, when something heavy weighs you down and you stand up against that resistance, I think that's a good mindset, you know, to have too. Um, small reminders of that. I think it's an incredible mindset. And back once upon a time in, in my sales career, I squatted heavy squats were Friday mornings because I, I ran a sales meeting with the executive team of our company. And it was my meeting. It was my show. And boy, it was a lot easier after training with big weights. It's like, this will be a walk in the park. Right. Right. Because you've already put that pressure on yourself. Yeah, I've already you done already, it. You've got that expectation. And I think you're like me, Ray. I like to constantly reach for something that I can just barely, barely touch. Or I, I'm just, I'm always reaching for something I, I can't get, or I'm just, I'm short of it. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's, it is incredible how much calmer my mindset was. I wasn't looking for any, you know, you know, anything else to, um, you know, really dive into. It was just, I was again, just a good, a good wife and my sales were better when I was doing that. I was calm. Um, it was just, it's a, it's an incredible mindset to have when, when you're patient and it's a long-term goal. Um, and yeah, your, your days just get a little easier when you're already challenging yourself in ways where you're getting stronger and making a difference. That was such a great year and a half of, of my life, uh, in training. I think even including training for basketball, it's just wish I could encourage everyone to do it. Cause I get so inspired when I look back on it and, and I sometimes miss, um, having the mindset that I have, cause it's not the same now, but it's, it's, you know, some people, when they think about prep you know, going into prep again, they would just like, we've talked about, oh, it's throw myself in here for four months, but you can't just flip that switch. I mean, it's, you know, you've got to have your support system and your family, right. And if I'm going to flip that switch, then I'm, you know, I'm tunnel visioned. And I learned if I look left or right, or if I compare myself to somebody on Instagram, I'm going to, I'm going to slow down. And I, I, it gave me just such beautiful tunnel vision where I'm just, I've got blinders on and I'm only looking at the end result. And that's something that I wish everybody could have and challenge themselves to. Looking back at everybody that worked for us and everybody I interacted with, there's the folks that were successful and it's the athletes that were division one athletes that interned with us or worked for me. You guys all have similar stories. Like I, I did a podcast with Jeff Sobel like a month back. And when he was in high school, the weight room wasn't open zero hour for the anybody to lift weights like you couldn't the school when the school got unlocked the school was unlocked and that meant when school started so he used to take his little brother who played football at northern 
and one of his buddies and they would go over to the high school and they would lift Mike up, little brother Mike up, who was a linebacker at Northern. So he wasn't not a small dude. Right. They would lift him through a window. They would break in <laughs> and then he would go unlock the door and let his older brother and, and the buddy in and they'd lift weights. Well, well, two of those three kids are like only two of the three kids that have ever, they're the only two, two that have had division one football scholarships from that high school. Yeah. And they were breaking into the school. You know, it's no different than you getting a key to the gym. The blonde girl that played softball at Northern. Oh, Bree. Yeah, Bree. Bree. Yeah. I was going to, yeah, I was, her name was on the tip of my tongue. And then I went a different and it came back. We knew each other at, at NIU. And then she walked through the FitWork store and I'm like, nice. We got another, got another. So she was the same way. Like you, you and Tim were gone, but I remember being in meetings and she was pissed at another employee. She's like, no. And she legit said it. She's like, no, this is bullshit. He asked you to do this a week ago you still didn't do this. And she looked at me and she's like, don't give them this anymore. Just it's, they're not doing it. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's the division one athlete because they're like, you're on my team. You're not pulling your weight. I'm going to say you're not pulling your weight. And by the way, if, if I need to step in and help pull the weight, I'm just going to do it because the team's not going to fail. Right. Well, and to piggyback off of that, and I'm sure if Bree ever did jump into bodybuilding, she would do great because she, I mean, because she holds herself accountable, obviously. And I think another thing, I, I don't know if I told you this or meant to mention, was that I love team sports very much. But what drove me nuts was, you know, we would get class checked. So I would go into my 8 a.m. mat, and my coach is already sitting there. She's like, okay, you showed up, cool, and then she'd leave. So you had to do everything right. You couldn't wear pajamas. I'm trying to buy Adidas. If I wore Nike, I'm in trouble. Like, our coach was like, you better be wearing Adidas underwear, right? So you just had rules, and it was strict, and I appreciated that. But what drove me nuts would be if I had a teammate that went to class with their pajamas on and the coach was class checked them, we all had to run. So paying for other people's mistakes drove me nuts, but I understood that's a team ethos. That's what it is. It was freeing to know that when I started working on bodybuilding, that if I do something wrong or if I don't get the results I want, then look in the mirror. I'm the only one that's doing the work. I'm the only one that's doing that. And and it, and it was kind of my first dip into individual sports. And I loved it because I knew I could hold myself accountable and I had no one else to blame but myself. It's that, you know, famous quote, don't complain about the results you didn't get with the work you didn't do. And so not that it felt like team sports were horrible or anything, but I, I was, it's almost like I, you know, you don't have to worry about others not holding themselves accountable. So I, I'm with Bree. <laughs> that's, that's a good story. That was the first time I realized that the kids that came and worked with me that played division one sports were different. Yeah. They just were. And it's, that's why they made it to division one. And that's why they didn't only go D2, D3 or NAIA. And there, there was only one exception to that. And he chose, he had D1 offers and he chose a small school because he loved the school. And he realized he's like, I'm not going pro. So I, I don't care. And I really like it here. I want to go here. Um, but he had the work ethic, but the the rest and not to pick on the other ones, because I didn't play any college sports, but there is a difference. Mm-hmm. And I look at those of you today that you're all, whatever it is you're doing, you're doing it at a high level. I learned more from my coaches than I did any professor. I don't, I did not pay a lot of attention in class because I was thinking about basketball, but just from all the teammates that I have of all different walks of life and all different challenges and our coach, um, Coach Owens, who was my favorite, she's now coaching at Notre Dame. She recruited me to Northern Illinois. She was an Olympic coach at the time. She believed in making practice harder than the game. 
And so we would practice against men every single day. I don't think I ever won a, a practice. We didn't win drills. We didn't win anything. But she wants practice to make it feel like it's absolutely impossible. And then when it's time to come to the game, I mean, you're, you're, I hate using this word, but it's, you're battle tested, you know, in, in a way. And, and you've already gone through the tough part. And so it kind of made, not the games easy, but it practices shouldn't be easy. I, I miss that discipline sometimes, but it does definitely transfer over in. It's, it just feels like my schedule outside of being a division one athlete is just pretty easy. I mean, why shouldn't I be able to get up and lift at 6am? You know, I don't, it's hard to give myself that excuse, you know? So it's, I'm very thankful for even the bad days. If, if I had a losing career while I was there, I don't think it would matter. I mean, you could, you could go to a division one school and ride the bench for four years and you will still find a lot of value in that. The discipline thing matters that's why you dress business casual that's why if you were wearing a three button collared shirt golf polo whatever you want to call it it wasn't going to be wrinkled and the shirt was going to be tucked in that's why you you weren't you weren't allowed to be on our team and look like a bum because that that bum mindset starts creeping into and showing up in other areas it does and then if you're competitive you know and you want to you know, outshine people or, or make it look like you're trying harder. I mean, it's, it's, it's the little things in putting yourself together and being on time, I think is one of the biggest things I learned. I mean, if I'm late to a dentist appointment, I'll freak out, even though it doesn't matter, you know, but I, being on just the little, little things, but yeah, I had, I had a coworker and we'd have casual Fridays um, and he would sell millions. We'd have casual Fridays and uh, people would come in with tennis shoes or, you know, just like a regular polo shirt, which was fine. He would come in on a three-piece suit on Fridays because it's a business. And he's like, I just, I'm just here to make everybody look bad and lazy. And it, you know, it, it was kind of a funny message to me, but I do, if you're customer facing or doing, you know, trying to make your manager or even your brand and the company you want, you know, you're it, facing look good. You respect it by. What does it say to yourself? If you look in the mirror and you're wearing dress clothes versus you look in the mirror and you've got your favorite sports team t-shirt, in some comfy, cozy shorts and your flip-flops because it's Friday. Yeah. One of my buddies that I went to high school with, he, he used to say, look good, feel good, play good. So not that he'd put any makeup on or anything, but if he had a, you know, had a good hair day and I'm like, Mike, you're not, you're going to put a hat on and play baseball. What's it matter? And he goes, you look good, feel good, you play good. And I never forgot that. I'm like, he's, he's right. <laughs> so, so yeah. Most people have no idea. So I almost failed out of college. I would wake up in the morning. I would drink like a half a half gallon of, of Kool-Aid and I would eat a sleeve of Chips Ahoy cookies. I would put a baseball hat on, watch TV, miss most of my classes and maybe go to some classes and lunch. When I turned my shit around, I did a couple of things. One, I made my bed every day, which I'd never done. I do that Two, I got up and showered and dressed nice and wore cheap, shitty cologne. And I would tell myself, look good, feel good, do good. Yes. And that was my, if I, if I look good, I'll feel good. I'll do good in class. And that was the, those were the first steps to fixing my college career. I mean, I, I had, I had D's, I had F's, I had W's and I flipped it 180 degrees the other way, but that was my approach. And I went from just being a slob to showering, getting up at the same time every day, going down and actually eating breakfast. That wasn't a half gallon of Kool-Aid and a sleeve of chocolate chips. I work from home. You work from home. I don't know what yeah. you wear for work every day, but 
four like to it. five days, I have a three button shirt on. I'm, I'm one day a week. I might have a t-shirt on, or there might be a reason the khaki pants in the polo shirt that says a lot. Yeah, it does. And when I had coaches that, I mean, I had a, my high school coach would scream and spit in my face. I mean, for years, he just would, he went, he would go off and yell in my face, but I had to tell myself if he did not that you did that or anything, but if, if he didn't do that, then he probably doesn't care if I'm improving. So I, I did, take that kind of reverse psychology like he's not going to yell and scream at the players that aren't going division one he's you're going to put the time in and I think you having that dress code for like I think I remember asking you one time if I could wear a hat I think because I was going through a hat phase I'm like can I wear a hat and you're like no I prefer not and I was like oh man but then you're like this is this is what the employer wants I mean I like you're going to have different employers that are going to expect different things and you can just show that respect and just we we did talk about the hats you know where the hat thing came from because uh-uh. when I was a slob at Northern, I wore a hat every day. And you've never seen me in a baseball hat. <laughs> My first year, year and a half at, at Northern, I wore a hat every day because I didn't want to shower and have to go do my hair before I went and did anything. Yeah. I was sloth. So no, there were, we're not doing hats. Why aren't we doing hats? Because I equate wearing a baseball hat with being a bum. And that's fine. Because I think- Because I was. Well, see, that's, 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 now I know where it came from and that's fair. And I, I don't know if I told you this, but the, the other thing about getting scholarships too, in going to Northern learning that it's not a guaranteed four years. I mean, you're, it is, you get, you get one year at a time. And I had eight different coaches in three years and the, every time that they rotate, they're going to potentially want to give up your scholarship and give it to one of their recruits. Um, so I had to learn all different defenses, all different styles, different body, like they don't, they're big on body language. I mean, I think that also helped me with my employer now because I've, I've been on the team I am now for five years and I've had six different managers and four different directors. And so I could yell and complain, but I also think just being able to adapt is another thing that I learned with, with college too, was how do I satisfy all these coaches and show them I can hustle and do all these things. And you just, from the flip of a switch, I got to learn something else. And so I'm, I'm beyond grateful for that, you know, in every year and every coach, every coaching change in every year means you have to renegotiate your contract for a scholarship. Yeah. It's not a guaranteed, you know, not a guaranteed four years. You got to bust your butt. I mean, off the court too. I mean, if you're late to community service, if you're late to class, if your body language is bad, if you're not a good teammate, if they, they would watch film. And if you're sitting the bench for a game and you're not getting up and cheering for your teammate, you'll run for it. I mean, it was, I, so I looking back and having this conversation with you, it, it makes me more grateful because sometimes it's such a distant memory that I don't think about it, but it, it just, it translates all over. And I think your training too, Ray, working together with you, it gave, gave me some transferable skills too. I mean, I think I had a few, but you know, I learned a lot in that last prep that I'm always happy to talk with people about. I think another thing I would I wanted to say or tell you is that I, the training that we went through, um, doing the small off program and then doing it again because I remember we had a drop off where there was too much rest time, and I was like, we got to do it again. We did it again, and I remember before I even got on stage, I, I was so happy with what we achieved, and I was so happy with my mindset that. Before I even got on stage, I was just thrilled to be there. I was like, I feel like I won overall. They may not pick me overall, but I am the overall winner. And I had already won because I felt like going through that training and coming out the way that I did was my, it did, I don't think it would mean as much as, as winning overall. I was going to let the pro card expire anyway, but I really felt like just looking in the mirror, I'm like, I, I won today. I was, I, no, the judges can say what they want, but 
I we did we won and it was it was incredible I just wish I took more videos of me you know squatting a heavy weight man I just I wasn't focused on my camera or my phone ever but I, I that's my small regret is not getting that on film or taking more pictures because it was nuts that I would squat 225 weighing 120 pounds like that was insane and it was a training weight it wasn't like I'm gonna see if I can do this once yeah yeah I mean warming up with 200 and 185 it was that felt smooth and I felt good and it was just man I I just wish I would recorded it but you're all of your expertise if I ever did it again you're you know you're the, I would never work with anyone else I, I almost don't listen to what anybody else says unless it comes from Ray I'm like let me see what Ray says about this well I appreciate that Britt good coaches have great clients. I didn't choose to get under a bar that weighed more than me. You you had to. You had to be willing to do that. A lot of people look at coaches that have big following and have a lot of successful clients. What they don't realize is those coaches typically don't work with people that don't want to be successful. Right. If you don't have the work ethic, you don't have the drive, the desire, you don't want to get uncomfortable. I don't want to work with you. I, I can't help you. I always did best for coaches I did not want to disappoint. If if I had a good connection with my basketball coaches, I, I, I had practices where my body felt like I was just going to fall. Like I could, it physically hurt to move. But if I didn't want to disappoint my coach, I'd push that through just because I had a lot of good coaches I connected with that cared about me, you know, more than basketball. They wanted me to graduate. Um, and so I, I worked hardest for coaches I didn't want to disappoint. I felt I felt that it with you too, Ray. I mean, I, I you know a lot. You're a freaking wizard. In a sense, didn't want to disappoint you. I know we put a lot of math and work into this. Uh, not that I think I would have, but it all of my effort was like, I've got a great teammate in Ray here. Like, let's hit the ground running. And I, I wish a lot of people maybe like had that mindset. And and I would not still work hard these past couple months and do more than I'm expected to do if I didn't want to disappoint my sales team. So that's. But it's people that deserve it. It's not assholes, you know, but if right. I connect with you and I, and I don't want to disappoint, I will go through it. Let's do it. We had a lot of good coaches at the gym that help people accomplish things. I watched Dick Zenzen before I ever had the gym. I saw him like two times at the rec center at Northern working with somebody. And I was like, who the fuck is this guy? But anybody that trained under Dick went on to get national set national records, world records in powerlifting. They won in, I watched John Burkett. I don't know if you remember Burkett, but Burkett would do that with cross country. He literally said he would walk the hallways the first week of school. And he, you can't say this today. He goes, but he, he's like, I would look where I'd look for the fat girls that clearly weren't playing sports that no coach ever went and walked up and talked to. And I'd walk up and tell him I saw a runner in them and that I could get them to state. Yeah. And because he did that, they, they didn't want to disappoint him. Right. So they would, they suddenly believe they had someone that believed so much in them that they believe more in themselves and they got yeah. stuff done. Yeah. And, and not wow. disappointing them with your effort. I mean, I, if you, I mean, I, my coaches that I had, if I gave everything, every fiber in me, I, like I have nothing left that that's my way of showing. I don't want to disappoint you now that now the outcome could be that we didn't win the game or we didn't win the championship because basketball is a game of mistakes it's just, it is momentum and it's a, it's a toss up. Anybody could beat anybody, but from, from the effort standpoint, that's, that's where I guess I'm coming from and not disappointing is like, I, I could put everything in and still lose, but I, the, my worst fear would be going home and sitting on the couch and be like, and saying, I could have gave more. And that would just, I can't live with myself thinking, looking back. I think the only regret I have is um 
I did not do well in school. My GPA was horrible. I think I had a 1.97. I just couldn't focus, hated sitting still. I would doodle basketball. I just only thought about basketball. And I had coaches at Northern that pulled every string that you could pull in the NCAA to get me there. I mean, I graduated high school by the skin of my teeth. And my mom and I still joke about it. I had hundreds of offers of scholarships. I was overwhelmed. My mom still has, I have a book um, full of letters from coaches and a couple shoe boxes of just insane, the opportunity I had. But I, I still think about when I came home from one tournament and I was rocking it. I had seven threes in the game. I was like, couldn't miss, like throwing a rock in the ocean. And I came home and I had two messages uh, from coaches. One was from Dartmouth and one was from Carnegie Mellon. And they're not, you know, they're Ivy League. So they're not, other than their academics, they're, you know, not everybody's thinking about them. But I, they were saying, we love your game. You're an incredible athlete, but you got to get your grades up. And I, I knew that. And I, and at the time I'm like, that doesn't matter. Cause like Miami, Ohio is calling me. I'm gonna go visit Toledo, like UNCW, all these schools didn't matter. But as I get older, I'm like, I wonder what would have happened if I applied myself better at school, you know, getting a Carnegie Mellon or Dartmouth degree, but I don't live too much in the past, but it is, it is a little funny to think about. There's value in 20 years from now, you're going to want to look back. And that being said, I think you probably learned more taking the path you took than you would have with better grades. I agree. And that's, I mean, uh, the most successful people I know didn't do well in college in, in two of them are multimillionaires many times over. One of them's got the, basically the equivalent of a GED and the other one has two years at a community college. And yeah. the one with the two years at the community college is convinced if he would have got, if he gets, if he were to go and get his four-year degree, he'd do even better. I consult for them. So I know what the revenue numbers are. It's like, dude, like you, if you had an MBA, you wouldn't be doing this because you would have picked up all of these bad academic ideas and habits that would, would have kept you from doing these things that you're that's like, right. this seems like a good idea. I'm going to go after it. Well, yeah, that's right. And it seems like when you get, when you're, you know, whether you're in school and college too, it's like the, the, the professor designs what they want you to learn. I mean, it's like, here's the book I want you to read. And you're focused on just what that professor wants you to learn other than like just being, you know, maybe there's more power in having studying independently. I'm going to study, I'm going to read every book. You know, the, the, it's almost like college is designed for you to get to the one answer, the answer that they want you to have. So and yeah, you got these guys that are millionaires that are making it work because they they took it on themselves to learn, you know, not just they had to figure it out. Yeah. And they they went and shot hoops in the driveway when there was six inches of snow on the ground and they had a key to the gym and went by themselves at night right? and, and shot until they were exhausted or they wake their little brother's ass up and they make him come with to the gym in the morning only because they need him to crawl through the window. Right. Well, Brittany. Thank you for giving up part of your time, sharing a bit of your story. Hopefully people that tuned in can see how easy yet difficult it is to decide to be disciplined and focused and put that intensity into an off season. Clearly your pictures show the benefits of doing that. Yeah. Thanks for having me on Ray. It was an honor. And if any clients, you know, reach out and want to talk to me or connect, I'd be more than happy to, but I, I would not recommend any other coach. And I think being able to throw myself totally into your plan with nutrition and training and, and trusting the process 100% made a huge difference in, in my results to where I could just focus on my effort. So I thank you for that. And 
Maybe one day we'll do it again. I don't know. This podcast is brought to you by smallbusinesstogrow.com, the website by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Why reinvent the wheel? Start growing your business with best practices from industry-leading small business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs. Take their wheel, put it to work in your business, and start growing today. Smallbusinesstogrow.com to learn more.